Hello and welcome to the season finale of Conversations with Q, where we chat to marketers and entrepreneurs to learn about them and from them. Today's episode brings season one to a close, and it's been a real privilege getting to interview some of the biggest names in B2B marketing. I've learned so much from all of our guests, including this one coming up, and I really hope that you have too. So last, but definitely not least, we're hearing from Aaron Orendorf, a Forbes top 10 content marketer and editor-in-chief at Shopify Plus. Aaron really didn't hold back on the knowledge bombs here, so have Evernote open or grab a good old-fashioned pen and paper because you're going to learn a lot. From the inside scoop on the content strategy at Shopify Plus, to Aaron's top tricks for hacking social media algorithms and getting your content seen. So hi Aaron, it's great to have you here. Oh, it is fantastic to be here. We were just saying, we have known each other for a couple of years now, and this is the perfect excuse to actually talk to each other, like exactly. like people. Yeah, because you've been a curator at Q for, yeah, pretty much since the beginning, really. So you've given us so much support over the years. So it's really good to chat. Oh, I fell in love with Q, Q Promote, <laughs> all of that goodness. As soon as it all jumped off, you caught me at the very beginning of my trajectory. And I think I caught you folks at the same position. And so it's been nothing but back and forth love. Yeah, it has. It was perfect timing, actually. Um, so just so our listeners can get to know you, where are you based and what's your favorite thing about where you live? Oh, I am in Portland, Oregon. My favorite thing is it's not, and, and I'm almost scared to say this, but I doubt anybody is going to be listening from the town I was in previously. My favorite thing about Portland is it's not Klamath Falls. I, I was in the middle of nowhere, Oregon on basically the California-Oregon border out here on the west coast of the States for about five years. I mean, really like my online marketing journey, online writing journey all began in Klamath Falls and it went fine. Thank goodness for the internet. I mean, the word online is in there, but I just moved to Portland, Oregon about three months ago. They have a working airport. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. You can get in and out of town easily. There's all kinds of fun, goofy, hipster things going on here. I'm just loving it. Oh, that sounds amazing. I've heard really good things about Portland, actually, and I'm very much a city person, so I can relate to you preferring it there. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it fits my personality well, and uh, I live right across the street from my co-working space, so I got to park the car and rarely have to take it out. It's delightful. Amazing. So yeah, speaking of your career, um, your career as a content marketer has been steadily on the rise over the past few years. You're doing amazing things. And you're now editor-in-chief of Shopify Plus. But before this, I read that you served in the army and you worked as a pastor for a bit. So can you just walk us through your career so far and how you got to where you are today? When you put it like that, it sounds like I've had a couple of previous lives and really, really that's, does. <laughs> that's the truth. Yes, I... Yeah, I served in the Oregon Army National Guard as just a regular boots on the ground infantry guy for nine years, all through my undergraduate work so that the military helped me pay for college and then graduate school. 
I got deployed a couple of times, but I'm always quick to follow that up with, I never went anywhere all that scary. So I did go to the Middle East, but it ended up being the Sinai Peninsula, which was just gorgeous between Egypt and Israel. I went to Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans when that happened a few years ago now. And so that was probably the boy, the most intense situation I was in when I served in the military, the, the cleanup after that and the surrealness of being in a city that was just underwater. Oh, after the military, I went on to uh, serve as a, a, a pastor here in Portland, actually. I, I was in Portland in a previous life, one of those previous lives for about a decade. That's where I did graduate school. I was in full-time ministry at a multi-site church so there were multiple campuses of this one local expression and then everything essentially imploded in that previous life about six years ago and so five years ago is when I jumped in and was forced by necessity to reinvent myself and my career and that's when I started writing online. Amazing so why did you start writing online then was it just because it was something you could do easily? That's, that's a nice way to put it. Actually, that's, I, I'd always loved communication. So when I was an undergraduate, I studied English with an emphasis in creative writing. And then when I was doing my graduate work, what's called the Masters of Divinity, I studied a lot of homiletics, basically a fancy word for public speaking. I had a stint in academics that sort of overlapped these two worlds where I taught writing, uh, technical writing, research and a lot of public speaking courses as well and what united all of those experiences and then bled into online marketing was this reverberation of a single theme and that is all communication is sales like all communication is persuasion and it doesn't matter if you're in a religious environment a philosophical a political or a straight up sales environment, blogging or writing online, you're always trying to take what's inside your head and get it into somebody else's through some written or verbal means in a way that makes them say yes. Uh, you're always aiming for agreement to sell your idea or your product to somebody. And in all of those different worlds, what I saw was there was this fundamental collection of tools that in essence, were universal with the way people communicated and accepted communication. Sure, well, I was gonna ask you if there was anything that linked these kind of seemingly diverse professions together, but that makes total sense, what you've said about communicating and teaching, I guess, which is perfect for content marketing. Well, and it's interesting too, because one of the things that I would harp on, especially when I was in academics with my college students, was that, you don't get any points if you, you know, quote, preach to the choir or in a political setting, if you rally the base. What really matters in communication is can you take somebody who's on the opposite side of an argument uh, in another yard or somebody who's on the fence and bring them one or two steps closer to your side to actually change someone's mind is the goal. And that again, I mean, bleeding right through all of those different expressions I just talked about. That's such a, uh, a bedrock of what I do today and what I've done and why I love communication. 
So you've kind of made a few different moves in your career. So you started your own online business um, as a freelancer, and but you've also kind of worked in-house, am I right, before that? So you've gone from in-house to freelancer, and now you're at Shopify Plus again. So which do you prefer? Well, Shopify Plus, it's the only full-time job I've had as a writer. Okay. I, I started, you're right, just with the freelance. And yeah. that was really just an exercise in how is Aaron going to eat and find a place to live next yeah. week? <laughs> that was, uh-huh. it was very necessary. Like, uh, that, that's how it all started was I've got to do something I can do this. For the first two and a half years of that online writing experience, I just concentrated on writing like a madman. So I pitched editors at every publication under the sun to try and get a name for myself, get some logos up on my site, get some social proof going on that front. And once that sort of took hold, once I'd gotten my name up on a bunch of different sites, I started getting some regular clients in like the allure of the freelance lifestyle was strong and I thought I would never give it up. I could charge a ridiculous amount of money, which was wonderful. And I I just knew that no, no full-time job could match that nor match the freedom of me getting to decide what I worked on when I worked on it kind of thing. And then as happens in life, love, and I really mean this love, changed everything. Shopify Plus started as just another freelance client. I, I was blogging for them, was writing for them, doing some landing pages for them. And I fell in love with the editor-in-chief at the time, a guy named Tommy Walker. And what that looked like was it was the most challenging writing I'd ever done because it was e-commerce, which I wasn't incredibly familiar with when I started. And it was enterprise e-commerce, which meant I had to learn Uh, you know, a host of acronyms that I never had any interest in, as well as the audience we were writing for, because it was enterprise, wasn't going to take any BS and they would call you on it and they would see through it. You couldn't fake it with like a top 10 list of blank kind of thing because they'd already been there and done that and it wasn't going to help them and it wasn't going to help Shopify Plus land any new merchants or businesses to join the platform. So it was incredibly challenging. And Tommy would just call me on it every time I would turn something in that wasn't up to to standard. Mm -hmm. And that challenge of it, coupled with his willingness to get me up to standard, created some of the best work I'd ever done in that year or so that I was a freelancer for them. So when they made overtures of me coming on full time, even though I thought I'd never do it, I found myself really tempted and jumped on board. Oh, yeah. I I think that's really interesting what you've said about it being a challenge because obviously the freelancer lifestyle, once you have built up a kind of good career for yourself and you've got some clients on board, it can be very pushy. But I think sometimes what's more fulfilling in life is when you're outside of your comfort zone. And it sounds like you had a real baptism of fire in a way, working in a completely new industry. I did. When, when I joined Shopify Plus full-time as a content marketer, I wrote, because I'm a writer, so what, what else are you going to do? You're going to write about it. So I wrote about it. And I wrote this, I don't 
know, 2,000, 3,000 word article that I posted to my own site on that idea of love and making the wide-eyed decision to make less money for probably the next Mm. two to maybe three years. But the challenge, the, the relationship, best working relationship of my life, those things coupled with what I knew was I can keep writing online making popular content and I'm going to live, I'm going to live comfortably. But if I want to become a fully cut marketer, like full stack marketer, uh, if I want to understand growth and demand generation and how leads turn into marketing qualified leads and those turn into sales accepted leads and all of these other acronyms that that don't sound super exciting on the surface, but you start to understand how these fuel the inner workings of large organizations. If I wanted all of that, I knew I wasn't going to do it on my own because I'd stay in my comfort zone. I'd keep writing about the things that I was comfortable with and I'd keep writing rather than starting to think about how does a, a piece of writing fit into a larger content marketing framework, content with a capital C, how does that overlap with audio and video and social and landing pages and gated assets and webinars like this, you know, a real full scope of marketing. If I wanted to get there, I wasn't going to get there on my own. So all of those things conspired together to make me say, yes, I will take less money I will give up the freelance lifestyle and I will do so happily. Sure, yeah, and I remember that post you wrote, actually, it was really good. I definitely recommend people read it. But now I know what you mean, because as a freelancer as well, you are often just kind of, you're churning out the content and the copy, but then you're just kind of sending it off and that's that. And then you move on to the next thing. But it's amazing being part of a bigger organization and seeing how everything like slots in and you really just learn so much. You do. You're, you're surrounded by, and that's the, the thing is, right? You can do this. You can create this environment for yourself. And this is probably yeah. like the bigger life lesson thing. And it really is just a matter of what is it you want? What makes you happy? Where do you want to go in the next two years, the next five years, maybe even the next 10 years Come, you know, with the other side of the extreme of what did you most enjoy last week? Uh, I was, I was a full-time college instructor up until the beginning of 2017. So all the way through 2016 for about five years. And I gave up that position without knowing that Shopify plus was going to give me a job. I just built up the freelance business enough that I couldn't keep doing both. So I resigned my position in, at the university and stepped into full-time writing. At the same time, I connected with a coach a life coach slash professional career coach. And that relationship is really, is, is a big part of why I made that next decision. But what was so important about all of that, and what I think it's really important for people to hear is my decision isn't the right decision. It was just the right decision for me. And it took a lot of questions from my coach and answering those questions and, and doing homework and figuring out what is it I really, really enjoyed over the last month, over the last week. Let's make a list of the clients. Who do I want to keep working with? Who can I fire? Uh, all those kind of things contributed to making that big decision. Mm. Yeah, it's really refreshing to hear, actually, because I feel like in this kind of industry, 
we hear so much about people starting their own businesses and taking that leap and like leaving their full-time job and starting something on their own so it's really cool to hear the flip side of that from you um but I know that you still do maintain your freelance business like one content alongside what sounds like quite a high power job so how do you manage your time there like do you, does your do you still have that life coach to kind of help you balance things out I do. I still, I still work with her every other week. We meet and we talk. The freelance side of things these days is I basically set a ridiculously high bar on my website, which I never update. I, I have a website and it's essentially a vanity website at this point. <laughs> it's just there and you can go look at it and you can find some of the old posts I've written. I stripped away all of the dates from my blog posts and anything online so that nobody can tell that it's super dated and I haven't, I haven't done anything on it in like a year and a half. I learned that from Andy Crestadina was take away all of your dates off of everything so nobody can see it. That works in certain situations very well. What I did on the website is on my contact page and on my homepage, my own website, I just set a really high bar where I have, like, I have some block about if you have a project, awesome, know this. And then I set like, number one, I only have time to take on one, maybe two freelance clients a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only take on new clients like every other month. You got to have a, a one month lead time. You got to agree to work with me over a two to three month period to start because one-off jobs are productivity killers. And here's the price that I come in at to start if you want to do something with me. And that's been great because that just like weeds out anybody that doesn't deal with a diva like me at this point. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't email me, which is great. And then I just get the, the interesting jobs, the things that I'm I'm passionate about and have time for on the weekends, on the evenings, those sort of things. Sure. And I guess if they're kind of passion projects that you enjoy, then it's more manageable. It is. And it's funny because what ends up happening is I do these three to six months engagements. And the vast majority of what I do these days for freelance is ghostwriting and interviewing C-level executives and then helping them put together their own byline. Mm. So that, that's something that I can't you know, put on a resume and I even sort of treat it tongue in cheek on my website where I like, Shh, don't tell anybody, but I do do this. And it's yeah. there. It literally says that on the page, like, Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> What's super fun about that is I end up working with the strangest types of clients. Like I, I spent a long time working with a enterprise level communications company and learned all about voice communication and speaker boxes and the evolution of speaker phones and conference calling units and what the future are. But you find these people who, when they're founders, when they're C-level executives are so into it, they're, they're like the best nerds ever and their enthusiasm, their know-how is contagious and what I love doing in those situations is helping them unlock those things that are in their, their heads, just like we kind of started talking about that all communication is sales, getting that passion that they have and the technical know-how out into the world. So I'd kind of love to talk to you a bit more about your role at Shopify Plus. Um, and I was wondering if you can share any insights into how you've shaped the content strategy there. And I wonder if it was kind of, what was it like when you started compared to what it's like now? 
when I started, I was just a lowly content marketer, right? I was, I was fingers on a keyboard, basically. So I, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then about seven months into saying yes to them, Tommy Walker moved to a completely different part of the company, a new company that Shopify had acquired. Which was actually like in Germany headquarters. So so he left, and myself and another writer basically found ourselves in this no man's land of we still have to publish content. So I guess you and I are doing this, and we sort of <laughs> looked at each other. <laughs> so we stepped into that position and did a bit of back and forth, and it just sort of happened to be that I am I love systems. I love systems, which means I love spreadsheets and Google Sheets and this new program called Airtable, which is basically Google Sheets on spreadsheet steroids where you can tag people. I love Trello. I love automating Trello. So I love thinking in systems. And that overlapped perfectly with the vacancy that Tommy created when he left. So by default, after the first month, I just sort of became the person that was scheduling everything and sort of overseeing everything. And then what initially drove our content strategy was keywords. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than the growth team did this big sort of exploratory study on what are the somewhat long tail, not necessarily high volume keywords that exist in enterprise e-commerce that would at least begin to qualify the audience that would come to our content so that we wouldn't end up with a whole bunch of bad fits, right? Because mm. Shopify Plus, it's not for someone starting out unless they're Chloe or, or Kylie Jenner, right? If okay. she launches, she's going to start out on Shopify Plus. Everybody else is already an established business. So, when I, when I stepped in, we were creating content that in a lot of ways was serving the enterprise audience because it was technical and savvy enough to help them, but it wasn't qualifying that audience with, key, with keyword savvy mm -hmm. that would disqualify the wrong people from even discovering our content. So it started with just this, here's a giant list of keywords, have at it. What's happened since then is we're still very much driven by, like, so I stepped into the actual official editor-in-chief role around December of 2017. So was this two to three month period where I just sort of did the job without the title. And then they came to me and said, you want to keep doing this? And I said, absolutely. Hmm. What, we, what we do today is it's a mix of, yes, it's still driven by keywords. So I've had to learn, and this is a great learning opportunity and just stretching myself how to do that kind of keyword research and long tail keywords and what qualifies our audience and how do you pick something that's uh, got that perfect mix of some search volume with maybe a bit of competition on it. You know, it's, it's, there's sort of an art and a science to doing that kind of work, but then that that's like one big stream. The second is we're obviously have a lot of campaigns, like we'll create content or a seasonality driven we're going into black friday cyber monday i mean it's beginning of august but that's the forefront of merchants minds and therefore at the forefront of our minds so we're creating a lot of 
content with a capital C, like video content, social content, blog content, gated assets, webinars, all these things, and how do you coordinate that? And then Shopify Plus is just constantly evolving the platform, the, the mm -hmm. functions, the features, uh, the integrations. They're, they're growing by leaps and bounds. When I came on, there was about five people in the marketing team. And the last time I went up to Waterloo, Canada for an offsite with the rest of the marketing team, there was like 30, 35 people in the room. Oh, wow. So fast. Yeah, it's, it's growing insanely fast. And that doesn't even include the actual engineers, developers, you know, the account managers, the salespeople. That's just the marketers that are on the team. And so it's, a, it's those three big streams, right? We like organize everything around keywords for discoverability and content creation, campaigns that are either seasonal or related to special promotions we're going to run, or product releases, feature releases, feature updates, and creating content around that. So in a lot of ways, it's very dictated for me. There's not a lot of creative thinking that goes into the backbone of the editorial calendar. But I enjoy that a lot more than just having somebody say, make sure you post three times a week and then yeah. leaving me to my own devices. Yeah, it sounds like you've got so much structure and like really the foundations of a proper strategy there. Um, but I'd be interested to know, uh, do you have a kind of style of blogging or what are the most successful types of content at Shopify Plus? Have you hit on any um, types of content that always work? My favorite strategy right now is when I came on as editor-in-chief, and there's a lot of people talking about this right now, and I swear to you, I came up with it b before I caught wind of, uh, for example, uh, the, the folks that run Animals just did a fabulous post on, I think it was QuickBooks or Intuit, that gutted their content. And by gutted, I mean they deleted, like, half of their existing blog posts and they had a yeah. huge online catalog mm. now that's the headline right quickbook deletes half of its blog posts or more than half of its blog posts what they're really doing is very similar to what i'm doing at shopify plus behind the scenes which is rather than spread out your content into say you've got like a collection of keywords all surrounding something like multi-channel e-commerce or e-commerce site performance, which then circles around things like page speed, load time, uh, load volume, the ability to service sales and transactions without crashing at scale, right? All these things are surrounding something like e-commerce site performance. Rather than spread those out over five to maybe 10 different posts, you consolidate existing content, you create new content to augment that existing content but you create one page to rule them all rather than diluting the value into various blog posts various articles various features pages that sort of thing where what what quickbooks did is they were able to i think it was like double or triple their traffic in a very short period of time because they just redirected and murdered all of these all of these posts that were sort of hitting on the topic and they put them all in one and then redirected everything to that single post. And right now that is like, I am loving that approach. 
And before I create or assign new content, I'm always going through our back catalog of what do we already have that exists? What do we need to update? What can we consolidate? And then bringing together various teams like the product teams, the sales teams to make sure we're actually communicating something they can use for enablement. And the success managers, like the people that are in the trenches working with the merchants to figure out who can we highlight inside this article, like doing that cross-department collaboration, all of this mixing together. I mean, this is why I love systems because that is a mouthful that I just said. Yeah. And I swear to you, you would look at the air table that I've got set up as the editorial calendar and it's 50% beautiful mind, crazy string stuff going on, but it all makes sense. Sure. And it's that sort of like pulling it all together approach. Yeah. And I guess it's because, um, you know, you were saying you like to have that structure in place rather than someone just telling you publish something new three times a week because there's so much content out there nowadays. You have to stand out. Um, which is great because it's being taken more seriously, like which just goes to show that kind of pillar method of really making yeah. it work. And stylistically, then it becomes Google. Google rewards things like listicles. Yeah. Uh, and and silly thing like Google right now loves position zero and the snippet and the people also searched for kind of stuff. Right, they're trying to serve up the most relevant answers to questions these days what is blank how to blank what are blank examples of fill in the blank like google just loves that kind of stuff and so the balance is trying to write in a way that structures it for a user experience that organizes a post or content in a way that google rewards yet still has authority and depth and teeth to it. It's kind of like if the Atlantic or Harvard Business Review decided to start writing listicles. That's how I think of it in my head. Yeah. Like if Wired wrote a listicle, they never would, but if they did, what would that look like? And that's what I try to aim for. Sure. So we've kind of talked about getting that strategy in place and a lot about um, SEO and how your content works on Google. But one of the things that I've noticed about you is you're really good at promoting content on social media and you really use your personal brand to support everything you're doing at Shopify, for example. Um, I mean, I kind of feel like every time I log into Facebook or LinkedIn, I see a new post of yours. And what I love about them is they never come across as promotional. They're always very inspirational and provide value. That's kind of, you do it very artfully. Um, but I'd love to know a bit more about your approach to your personal brand and how this supports everything you're doing. Um, and do you kind of, do you map out your activity? It would be for all that I love spreadsheets, like all of my love for spreadsheets, it's now embarrassing because no, on my personal brand, I absolutely do not. It is shameful how little preparation goes into what I, what I do on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, except, except when it comes to the creation of it, because I like what you just said. I mean, that was like super kind of you. That was really <laughs> nice. Definitely true. Oh, I, I so appreciate that because that is actually very much what I'm going for, at least from an ethos perspective. Okay. I have for my personal brand, probably two cornerstone ideas that came 
organically to me through my previous lives into online marketing. The first is that all communication is sales. And that means every piece of content has to answer two questions. Right? If I'm going to buy something and I, and I want to make that a visceral emotional experience because people buy with their hearts, they justify with their heads. So how do I make the, the, the communication of an idea visceral and emotional and deep and existential? The way I do that is I ask myself two questions. And I put this to clients as well when I'm working with them. One, what hell is this fill in the blank? Is this webinar? What hell is this product going to save somebody from? Describe how bad that hell is to me. Walk me through it. Make me feel it. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What are the numbers that back it up? Why is it worse than I as a reader or as a watcher or as an audience think? Right? So what hell is it going to save me from? And what heaven is it going to deliver me unto? And obviously, you can tell, right? That comes from my, my religious, my theological background. But the two questions force me, and they also force somebody I'm working with, to get very emotional and deep about it. Hmm. So that heaven and hell idea is the first big idea. All communication is sales. That's all wrapped up in one. And the second is my... My hashtag, let's get rejected. And that just came about because when everything started five, five and a half years ago, when I pushed go on launching Aaron Orndorff, I didn't have any credibility. And so I was pitching all of these publications that I had no business writing for. And I knew fear of rejection was going to be the thing that stopped me from moving forward. So I would make it my goal every time I sent an email or an article. I would just tell myself in my head, all right, buddy. Let's get rejected. Mm. And I'm, I'm a kind of odd. Like I have to trick my brain into doing things. And so I gamed the system internally. And that was one of the ways I gamed the system. I was like, all right, let's just make rejection the goal. And if rejection is the goal and I get rejected, awesome. I won. And it still stung. But yeah. when I would do that, I would just go for it and go for it and go for it and face that fear instead of letting the fear hold me back. So today those same ideas bleed into everything I do, especially on social. So when I do something like promote a, a post, like we did this big article recently on the 39 apps to grow a multi-million dollar e-commerce business, mm. which is uber listicle and doesn't sound like it at all lends itself to heaven or hell or the idea of rejection. But when I approach it with that lens, when I want to share about it, I'll make a video about how excited I am that somebody, in this case, Griffin Thal from Pure Vita Bracelets, that's a genuine multi-million dollar e-commerce business, what a risk it is for someone to actually pull back the curtain on the guts, the tech stack that runs their business. I mean, it is incredibly cutthroat in the online e-commerce industry. And to show other businesses what you're doing is daring. It's bold. 
And it's scary. And it overlaps like so well with that idea of let's get rejected. Like he's taking the risk. I love that he's taking this risk. And oh my gosh, he just so happened to do it on Shopify Plus. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. And all that comes through in like the video that I make for it, which is just me and my phone and linking to it and sharing all the you know, shameless name dropping of the people he included and the tools that he included. And that kind of, it, it takes it one step back from just the, hey, we wrote an article of tools here. You should read it. And yeah. it, it like ties it into like my own personal narrative and what I'm into. For sure. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it actually, because you don't necessarily being kind of personal on social media and stuff doesn't necessarily mean opening up about your personal life if you don't want to, because I know that obviously social media has broken down barriers in the professional world. So we do see more of a blurring of lines between like public and private life and people will be more open but yeah it could just be as simple as showing those kinds of internal processes of your business like that in itself is vulnerability it is and it also is then it goes right into that first heaven and hell idea because the hell that so many businesses of all sizes right and I made the mistake going into Shopify Plus thinking, ah, once you break 10 million annual revenue, once you break 50, once you break 100 million in annual revenue, you, you got it all locked down. You got it all figured out. And that is simply not the case. Right? People at that stage usually have their product locked down, the thing that they're selling. And maybe they're iterating on it and trying to create new product lines, which then thrust them into the whole area of unknown again. But they're still struggling with logistics or order fulfillment or how do we pull together the orders that we did on Amazon with what we did on site with this upcoming event with social media. Like it just when you start to scale, things get difficult and those hells start to exist at every stage. And so the hell that someone's dealing with is there are so many options and everybody wants to sell me their e-commerce tool, their e-commerce app, how do I make that decision and make it with wisdom, right? That's, that's the visceral hell that'll keep people up at night. And they're wondering if I drop 20 grand to buy into this tool, honestly, that's like a hundred grand or more because of the investment I'm making and the people and all the data I'm putting into this and how difficult it is to, once I invest in this tool and put it on my site or put it on across my social media to then pivot and bring something else in is a nightmare. It just sucks and it pulls you away from the actual thing you're passionate about, which is the product that you sell in most cases, right? That's, that's the emotional side of it. And to try to capture that in content uh, on site, in the article, in the gated asset that reveals all of these tools, right? There's so many emotional sides to everything. And to stay true to that, to capture that, I, re I just, I enjoy that. And when somebody shares, like you said, when they're authentic and they pull back the, the curtain and they take that risk of, here's the guts, this is what we're actually doing. Mm -hmm. right? That's authenticity in a really cool way. And it's giving. That is an act of kindness and generosity. Yeah, definitely. And that thing that you've said actually about heaven and hell, I have to say that um, I always remember that because I think we did a Twitter chat with you a while ago and I remember you saying that and it's always stuck with me. So really, really good advice. So you just touched on this, you were talking about how you will create a video and you use video a lot on. So just one final question I'd love to ask you is kind of more about your approach to video because am I right in thinking that 
it's only relatively recently that you've got into that. It is. Yeah. Because I, I, have... I think oh. it can be intimidating for some people, especially when you're, I mean, like, I'm like you, sort of a writer first and foremost, and now we're moving into this new area where everyone's doing videos, so it can be quite intimidating. So I'd love to know how you um, became so good at it, really, because you've made a massive success out of it. The thing that scared me most about video and what held me back from actually doing it is I have zero technical capabilities. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're sharing it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm terrible. And I, I sort of, because this is such a good lesson. The same way that like I fell in love with Shopify Plus and I got involved in them and that changed the whole trajectory of my career. And I continue to be incredibly challenged writing for them and figuring out how to grow a B2B enterprise level organization through content. It's the same thing with video. I just happened to become friends with some really amazing people who were making video on social. Hmm. And I was like, that is super neat. Who did you become friends with then on social? Like any people? Oh, some of the standouts are Michaela Alexis on LinkedIn, Goldie Chan. Goldie. Uh, yeah. Uh, Goldie's great string with her fried chicken is one of my favorites. Alan uh, Garrett or Gannett, I can never remember how to say his last name properly. Alan, Ask Alan, is just a brilliant 30 seconds to a minute 30 videos that that gentleman puts together. Manugo Swami was one of them. I just stumbled into these relationships with these relatively young people on LinkedIn and also making videos on Facebook and on Instagram. And I was like, that's super cool. I want to do that too. <laughs> and so I just cobbled together my phone. Michaela Alexis dropped the, one of the greatest hacks I've ever gotten, which was uh, get a tripod, get a remote for like 20 bucks off Amazon that'll start recording or take pictures for you. So it doesn't look like you're shooting a selfie. Wow. but you are. It's like the non-selfie selfie approach. Yeah. Social images and video. Somebody else, when I was trying to figure out how to do captions, so I'd shoot these videos. Uh, I upload them to Dropbox from my phone. I then jump on my Mac. I open up QuickTime. I go edit, trim. I mean, this is like my level of technical competence. Edit, trim using QuickTime, which just lets you trim it so it actually... I can t shoot like three versions of it all in one long video and then just pick the one I like the most and trim it down to whatever that time frame is. Mm -hmm. I upload it to Facebook. I upload it as a video ad to Facebook. So I've got, Facebook must think I'm really weird because I've got, <laughs> got like 50, 50 video ads that I've never actually published. Because I upload the video to Facebook and that auto generates the captions, which you can edit, download the SRT file, and then I use a program called Handbrake to burn it into the video. And then I upload it natively to social media so that the captions appear no matter where it ends up. I feel like you've just shared so many gems there. I'm gonna like listen to this back and like make notes. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, so that just goes to show it's not actually that complicated if you've got a kind of system in place. And the thing that I've noticed, this is the other part. So I'm, I'm hanging out with all these people that are doing this thing. And so I cobbled together my very low-tech version of doing it. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. The other side is most social media platforms punish links. They 
they want you to stay on the platform. Facebook, LinkedIn, not so much on Twitter, Instagram, if you've got a verified account or of your certain size, you can do the swipeable stories, which then basically let you hide a link inside of Instagram. But they all punish links with their algorithm. They don't show it as much. Mm -hmm. What I found is if I record an original video and upload it natively, I can sneak links into posts. And because there's a video on top of it, that drives organic engagement on the platform and still gets that link or whatever the content I'm trying to promote, it gets it promoted. Yeah. Especially on LinkedIn, I've noticed that too. I was looking at some analytics earlier and it's crazy, like the amount of engagement and views you'll get on a video and the amount of people it reaches compared to just, yeah, like sharing a link. Yeah, and it's even like text, plain text seems to get the best. It does, view. yeah. And then the post. But if you add a link to plain text or even worse, if you add a link and it does that auto box at the bottom oh, preview. Yeah. Just murders reach, and, and for good reason. Right? LinkedIn doesn't make any money as soon as you leave the platform. So if they think you're promoting something that basically tells their audience to stop being their audience, makes sense that they be that they yeah. wouldn't prioritize that with the algorithm. So you'll notice almost every single one of my video posts is basically there to hide a link. I mean, you'll just if you look. I'm going to do another one today that I just dropped this article on Content Marketing Institute of the 50 best social media tools from the 50 best online marketers. Q is included there. Shane Barker recommended Q and Q Promote, so I'm gonna hit you with this later. And I'm recording a video about it in my enthusiasm, and there's gonna be a heaven and hell note to it. it it's about like, everybody's got an opinion. Advice on social media is everywhere but finding the right advice from the right people on the right tools and what they're actually doing with those tools is rare. Mm. This is what we've created for you today. Right? And there's going to be a video saying all of that in my enthusiasm so that I can hide the link and still drive traffic to the article. Amazing. Well, I'm very, very excited to read that post. That sounds really cool. And I think that's all we've got time for today. Well, I could literally just talk to you for ages and pick your brains on so many other things. But um, where can our listeners follow you? The nice thing about being Aaron Orndorff is there's not a lot of Aaron Orndorffs out there. Sure. So I'm pretty sure if you go to Google, A-A-R-O-N, and as soon as you hit O-R-E, it auto-completes to Orndorff spelled correctly. So you can find me on Google that way. I am low hanging fruit on social media. <laughs> I, I am my name everywhere. Fantastic. I think you'll agree that Aaron is a real trailblazer in his field. Always at the forefront of the latest trends, but always keeping it real when it comes to creating quality content. I found it particularly interesting to hear from someone who had quit the freelance lifestyle for a full-time job, as we often hear the reverse story. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, so please do tweet me at q underscore co or Lucia Fontina, or call into our Anchor FM station. And if you'd like a second season of Conversations with Q, let us know by leaving us a review on iTunes. Hopefully we'll be back again soon.